0: springboard, continue our study on a Christian and their different relationships, and we'll continue our part two tonight of a Christian and their relationship with their pastor. What does that look like, and how does that function, and how did God design it to be done? And uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse number 11, he said, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to meet together, to congregate together. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your safety tonight. Lord, thank you for watching over us. And Lord, just doing, Lord, what we cannot always do for ourselves. Lord, we thank you for that tonight. We pray, Lord, tonight that you'd just be in the message tonight, be in the word. Lord, take your word and apply it in our hearts. And God, give us not just something that's true, but something that we can apply, Lord, and practice in our everyday Christian life. We ask you, Lord, this evening, God, that you just help us one more time. Thank you for the song service. Lord, thank you, Lord, for the truths that we sang about. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for this time of the year. God, so many people get stressed out and get so worn out and get so weary at this time of the year because they've got so much to do. And Lord, we've, we're busy and we've got a lot to do as well. But Lord, we celebrate this time. We, we on purpose, Lord, take this time to rejoice in the fact that the very God of heaven rode himself in flesh and came to sinful man. We thank you for that tonight. Lord, thank you that we know the true meaning God, just not of, of, of this time of the year, but Lord, the true meaning, God, of, of what you did and why you did it and who you came for and how you're willing to save people like us. We ask you, Lord, tonight that you just help us one more time from the word of God. Lord, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Ephesians, chapter number four tonight, we covered this verse last week. Matter of fact, we covered this verse last Sunday. We were in this verse Wednesday night. We're back here tonight. We won't stay here long this evening, but we, we looked at this verse. We looked in some of Jeremiah last Sunday night on how we understand the fact that God gives pastors to churches, that it is a God's design, it's God's way, it's God's plan. And we covered that thought last week on how, well, how does a church get the right pastor And how does a pastor end up in the right church? And I firmly believe that it is God that gives the pastor to the church and gives the church to the pastor and it is allowing the Lord to lead and guide in those scenarios. But one thing we have to realize that there's a big difference between God giving a church a pastor and God allowing somebody to pastor. In essence, and and to describe what I mean by that, we think about the nation of Israel. God allowed them to have an earthly king. He gave them Saul in that sense allowed Saul to be the king of Israel and there was a great problems and great calamities that came with Saul and then God intervened and God gave them David and David ruled well and David was a man after God's own heart he was that servant king who loved his people and served them as a king ought to and as a leader ought to and the same is true in the church today there's some churches that the man they have behind the pulpit that is preaching not necessarily the man that God gave them, but it is the man that God allowed them. And they, they picked them for other reasons than what is outlined in the scriptures. And a lot of times those situations don't end well. Sometimes those churches don't end well, there's problems there. But tonight we're not gonna deal with that aspect of it. We're gonna deal, how does a church that has a man that God has given them as the pastor, how is that relationship between the, the, the church member, and that pastor supposed to be according to the word of God tonight? And, and here's the thing, when it comes to how does a church take care of their pastor, how does a or what does that relationship look like between a church and their pastor? And really there's two schools of thought. I think there's 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 people either go this way or people either go that way. And I I titled the first one that some go through the school of, of, they make the pastor or they make this item, think about it this way. Uh, When you have something of, of great value in your life, whether it's an item or an object, you tend to treat it one of two ways. One, the first way is you make it prestigious. Right, You set it up, you, you put it on the mantel place, maybe you cover it behind glass, you separate it from everything else, and, and you point it out to everybody You say, look at that thing, look at that object that I got, look what that, that wonderful thing is. You give it the preeminence and, and you give it all the attention and, and you, you protect it at all cost. Right, you make sure that it's taken care of. Uh, but in essence, when you think about an object that way, but sometimes that's how churches treat their pastor. In essence, they, they put him on a pedestal that God never put, designed them or desires them to be on. In essence, they, 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 they no longer allow him just to be a man that is called of God. In essence, they almost make the man God in their life. And they, they put him on this, that's my pastor, look at him. He's so wonderful, he's so mighty. And then sometimes they even come to a point where they protect him at all costs. Now listen, I I may be in popular opinion here, but if a man's wrong and a man's doing things that are wrong and a man is actively participating in things that we know to be wrong, those things need to be dealt with. You don't deal with those things by sweeping them under the rug and and trying to hide them. You deal with them biblically. You call sin what it is and you deal with it. You repent of it, you get it right, and you put things in, in, in order, you put things in place to keep it from happening again. And we, there's a generation of, of churches and there's, there's, we're seeing it now. See, we used to point fingers at the Catholic church and say, we'll never be like that. But even within the independent Baptist movement, so to speak tonight, there's churches that have taken that same approach that this, this man is, he, he's, he's more than just a man. He's, he's more than just somebody that God has given to us. He's almost, he becomes an idol. And you protect him at all costs. And I don't think that's God's design for a church's relationship with their pastor. But also, so things that we hold of high value, right? We, we, sometimes we make them prestigious. We, we showcase them. We display them in that sense. And, and we ooh, and we awe at them. But there's also things that you and I highly value in our life that we, we don't necessarily put away and up somewhere, but we actually use them every day. Let me ask you tonight, do you value your car? I do. Because I don't want to walk everywhere. I enjoy reading about biblical times and I enjoy reading about the journeys they made from Capernaum to to, to Judah or from Capernaum to like Judea and then back down to Jericho and up to Jerusalem. It's wonderful. I'm just glad I didn't have to walk it. Can you imagine that, having to get on your donkey to go to Walmart? (laughs) There's probably some people in Waynesboro who do. (laughs) But we notice here tonight, right, we care about our car, right? We value that thing. Well, how do we show value to it? We take care of it. We call it preventive maintenance. In essence, we give that which is essential to it, and we do that which is essential to it to help it do what it's supposed to do, or what we desire, or what it was designed to do in our life. We ask you tonight, do you leave your do you just leave it in the the garage all the time? You just go look at it, you go tell it, look at my car, look how wonderful it is, look how great it is. No, you get in that thing, you drive it, and if you're if you're technically able to, you change the oil in yourself, or if you're like me, you just take it to Jiffy Loop. And you hope they do it right. <laughs> but, all, but you take care of it, right? You, you do what we call preventative maintenance. You allow it to do what it needs to do, but then you give the, the attention that is needed to it to allow it to keep doing what it's supposed to do. And I think that's how God designed a church's relationship with their pastor to be. In essence, it is not put the man on the pedestal, but rather it is help with the preventative maintenance and help take care of him in the sense that it allows him to do what God desires him to do within the church. Well, you say, well, preacher, how do we know or how does the church know they have who God has given them? Verse number 12 of Ephesians chapter 4 will be evident in the church. You won't have to look hard to find it. You won't have to squint to find it and see if God's working in the church or not. You'll see verse number 12 uh, taking place actively within the church, the perfecting of the saints, the maturing of the body of Christ, the work of the ministry, and and the the edifying of the body of Christ. You'll see those things taking place. And so if you see that taking place, you can step back and make the observation and and, and kind of make the, the, the reality that, well, this must be the man that God has given us when we see these things taking place. And if that is the case, then our heart's desire ought to be, as a Christian, our relationship ought to be, I'm gonna do whatever I can within my power, within my ability to be a blessing and a help to, to, to my pastor so that they can continue to do what God has called them to do. Unfortunately, there seems to be a generation who expect the first. Right, I, I went to Bible college, I got my degree, I'm the pastor of the church and all this kind of stuff, y'all, y'all better praise me, y'all better put me on a pedestal, and y'all better give me everything I want and everything I desire, and if you don't, it's because you don't love me. And I say that's not how God designed it to be. I believe God's put a man there and God allows the church to be there, and, it, and we'll get into this, into my third point tonight. It, it's supposed to be a good relationship. It's not supposed to be a strained relationship. It's not supposed to be a a, a bad relationship or a hard relationship. Uh, but we'll get into that tonight. But I'm gonna give you three characteristics tonight, and we'll be flipping throughout the Word of God again like we have been on Sunday nights, so dealing with this thought of a Christian's relationship with the pastor. When they know that the man that God has given them behind the pulpit is God's man for their their church, he's the gift from God, and they are the gift to him. They here's the thing tonight. <clears throat> It's hard to call a church a church without a pastor. But it's also hard to call a church when there are no people in it. In essence, you can't remove one and say you got the whole thing. It takes, it takes a, a pastor in a church, I think that's something to qualify to be called a church. Now, I know that's, understand there's seasons of where a pastor or a church will go without a pastor as they're waiting for the new one, all that kind of stuff, but I'm saying tonight, that, that ought not to be the the, the uh, extenuated process or the, the long-term goal is we're gonna go without a pastor, no God. We ought to be praying that God would give us the pastor that he desires us to have. But notice number one, concerning this relationship between a, a Christian and their pastor, it should be a relationship of encouragement. We kind of dealt with last week how, how the pastor is to, 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 to deal, how the pastor is to have their relationship with the church. But when it comes to the Christian and their, their relationship, well, what does that look like? I know that, or that, that God has given us the man for our church. How do we have that right right relationship with it? what does that look like? Well, it ought to be a relationship of encouragement. Take your Bible's turn to Exodus chapter seventeen Exodus chapter number seventeen tonight very familiar portion of scripture uh, you've probably heard it preached on and, and or, or expounded upon, especially when it comes time for like pastor appreciation times and all like that. But I think a lot of times uh, there, there's just one side of it that's looked at or, or one focus on it it 's not necessarily wrong. And I think sometimes we miss the greater picture that's actually taking place here in Exodus chapter number 17 uh, between Moses and his men and the, the people of Israel and even their own enemies. But look at Exodus 17, verse number 10. The Bible says, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Verse number 12, but Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat there on, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. I like verse number 12, because it, or verse number, uh, where's it at, verse number 11, it talks about it when Moses held up his hand, right? What does Aaron and Hur do? They come and lift up both hands because they're not sure which one it is. We might as well hold both of them up, amen, to help them out in that way. But it ought to be a relationship of encouragement. He goes on to say that, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Look at verse number 13. And Joshua disconfitted Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. That's what that translates to. Jehovah and sea, one of the names of God. But what, you, what you oftentimes is when we hear this verse, we often hear it expounded this way. You need to make sure that you are helping out the pastor, right? You need to make sure you're lifting up the pastor's hands, encouraging him, strengthening him, being a blessing to him. And no doubt that's there tonight. We, we know that, that that's what's taking place here. Aaron and Hur have came in. They told Moses to sit down and they've both themselves, they're lifting up Moses' hands to help him out. But oftentimes we we look at Moses and we don't realize that the encouragement that they gave to Moses didn't just benefit Moses directly, or it didn't just help Moses, and that was it. You got to realize, yes, it helped Moses. It, it solved a problem that Moses had. It it helped it, it helped his hands to be held steady and up. But notice, it also helped Israel. Why? What what do you think is going to happen to Israel if the Amalekites win? Be defeated. But not only did it help Israel in the sense, but it also helped Joshua. Look what it said right there in verse number 14. Rehearsing the ears of who? Joshua. Because there's gonna come a time in Joshua's life where he's gonna trade places with Moses. Moses is gonna die. Joshua's gonna step in. And Joshua's gonna remember, hey, that time that they encouraged Moses and they helped Moses was a sign that not just that it helped Moses, but it helped our whole nation and here's the thing: when when the, the, that relationship's right, and it's in a relationship of encouragement, it doesn't just help the pastor. In reality, it helps then the whole church as a whole. Right? When the when that when that relationship's right, it helps the church as a whole as well. But also, it shows the next generation how this thing's supposed to be done. Unfortunately, there's some in the younger generations and the generations that are coming up. They've been turned off to church. Because they've watched a church and they've watched a pastor who did not have a right relationship as the word of God teaches it to be and it's put a bad taste in their mouth. But when it's done right, it encourages the next generation but also, look at this, when it's all said and done, when that relationship is right, and that encouragement is how it's supposed to be, right? The man of, How does the man of God encourage? Well, he preaches from the Word of God. He does the work of the ministry. He edifies the saints. He builds them up from the Word of God. He, he loves on them. He's there at their hardest times. He's there when their loved ones are about to die. He's there doing the work of the ministry. He's there, present in their life, and there's that encouragement from his end. And when the people reciprocate it back to that, not only does it help him, but it helps the whole church, it helps the next generation, but Look at verse number 15, it honors the Lord. It honors the Lord, look at verse number 15. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nessiah, or Jehovah Nissi, however you wanna pronounce it. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with, Amal- with Amalek for generation to generation. In essence, when Moses, all this was done, that, that the Lord is my banner, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is how we're supposed to march. This is how we're supposed to operate. And it is a relationship that is encouraging from the body, in essence, from the church and from the Christian to their pastor. And it's reciprocated back. But watch this. If you could turn over to Second Corinthians, we're gonna flip all over the Bible tonight, amen. Hopefully you brought your, your, your Bible-flipping fingers this evening. But Second Corinthians tonight, Chapter number one, verse number 11. Well, what is the greatest encouragement to a pastor? What is the one thing that any Christian can do to be an encouragement to the pastor? Right, because there's some things that you can do that somebody else couldn't, right? You, there's some of you that could write a letter to be an encouragement to the pastor, but then there's some of you in here tonight that can't do that. Right? You ought to draw me a picture in that sense. And i I mean I absolutely love, I love it when the kids write me things and 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 tell me the truth about things and <laughs> they they did it for pastor appreciation, and one of them had me chuckling they had me chuckling 'cause like six or seven of them said their favorite thing about church is the singing <laughs> for pastor appreciation. <laughs> I said I knew I could sing <laughs> I knew i could I love, I love our singing amen. And I'm grateful for it tonight. I think we've got, the great, we've got great singing tonight. We've got great worship. We've got great praise. I just got to tell them, I don't, I don't sing where they can hear me. <laughs> oh, but kid, they're going to give it to you honest, amen. <laughs> they're going to give it to you honest. Brother Ricky, we went home last night after that men's meeting, and my son said, Daddy, Brother Ricky preached a good message. He said, I paid attention to the whole thing. He's never told me that. <laughs> but thank you for preaching. That, that's sincerely from my heart for preaching that he was willing to listen. And now he's wanting to know when we can strap down the front porch. <laughs> and load it up and take it down to the golf course. Oh, he listened. I don't think he got the quite, quite the right application, amen. But what is the greatest encouragement to a pastor? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 11. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. Paul said they, they couldn't go into the prison. They couldn't go to where Paul was. They even couldn't go to Corinth in that sense. They couldn't solve the problems that Paul had. Paul said the greatest help you've, had, you've given to me is your prayer for us. That the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons thanks be given by many on our behalf. See there were some that gave to Paul. There were some that took up a gift in exchange, gave that gift to Paul so he could go on and do the ministry. But Paul said, "Thank you for your prayers," because in Paul's eyes, the prayers went hand in hand. In essence, all it was was money. Paul said, "I'd rather just have the prayers." I understand, and it it takes money to do all that kind of stuff tonight. But as a pastor, one of the greatest. I, I, speaking for personal experience here tonight, one of the greatest encouragements I, I, I hear on a daily basis isn't, hey, preacher, good man, med- I'm thankful for it. It encourages me and it helps me. But I can't tell you how many times I've, I, I've, I've been going through things and, and just dealing with, with different relationships and different things in my life and, and different phases of this. Because I'm learning just as much as you are tonight. <laughs> I'm not drawing on past pastoral experience as we're pastoring, as, I, as I'm pastoring South Haven Baptist Church, but when y'all come to me and it's an honest and it's a sincere, it's not just something I, we say to each other, when you say, preacher, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I can't tell you how, how great of encouragement that is to me, and it's the same thing that Paul said. Paul said, thank you for your prayers. How can I encourage my pastor? How can I encourage the pastor that God has given me? By honestly and sincerely praying for him. So it ought to be a relationship of encouragement tonight. The pastor ought to encourage the people, and the people ought to encourage the pastor. It's one of those things, uh, and not just in this relationship, but even just coming to church. If you come and you purpose in your heart, I'm going to get involved. I guarantee you'll have a good church service every time you come. You come in and you say amen. You come in, you, you shout on the singers. You come in when the, the preacher says something that is good. You say, that's right, preacher. You just enjoy it and you get involved with it. You know, you don't just come here, bless me if you can. But you come and say, Lord, I'm here because you've blessed me. I'm here because you've been good. I'm here because I there's nothing else I'd rather be doing right now. It ought to be a relationship of encouragement tonight. We've seen that in Exodus. We see it here in First Corinthians, excuse me. Second Corinthians chapter one tonight. But notice this, not only should it be a relationship of encouragement, but it should be a relationship of empowering or an empowering relationship. Take your Bibles turn to first Timothy chapter five. First Timothy chapter number five. We're down in verse number 17. Verse number 17. <laughs> There's a word in there that I know that's what I am, but I don't feel that way, right? Look at verse number 17. Let the elders, that's a hard word for me to swallow because I don't feel old <laughs> until I try to do something I could do five years ago and I can't do it. But he's not, he's not talking about somebody who's just old in age, but those who are ruling, those who are authority. Notice what it says, let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now how many have heard this verse tied to money? Typically, that's what it's tied to, and I think as the church is able and the church is capable to do so, in essence, they ought to they ought to take care of the man of God. We we understand that now. We're not we're not going to deal with that in that sense tonight. I think we're all in agreement with that. But one of the questions I had to ask myself: Well, how do you know a, the elder or the pastor is ruling well or he's leading well? Well, the answer is right there in verse uh, number seventeen: Let the elders that rule uh, well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor. In the Word and doctrine. Now, to be honest with you, in the beginning of my Christian life, I remember hearing preachers say something along these lines I've read my Bible all week. I've been praying for hours. I've been doing this, I've been doing that, and, and I have absolutely nothing to give to you. And I remember being a young Christian, I thought, boy, that is spiritual. Look at them. Suffering for the Lord. And then one day I was sitting there and I thought, that ideology doesn't apply anywhere else and make sense. I've been fishing all week long. I've been casting and casting and casting. (laughs) Been studying the waters. and I ain't caught a single fish. Something's wrong there's an issue somewhere. I've been playing basketball all week long. I've been practicing, I've been dribbling, and I ain't made a single basket. We'd say, well, there's something wrong there. Something needs to be resolved. There's an issue that needs to be fixed. And here's the thing tonight if you're laboring in the word of God, if the pastor is laboring in studying and seeking the scriptures, God said that he'll give us wisdom. He'll give us that, what we need. And and here's the thing. I, in my own personal, all before I was a pastor, I learned that if I'll just get in the book, God will give me that what I, now listen, it may not be three points. It may not have illustrations in a, in a, a transitional statement that I learned about in Bible college, but I can't tell you a time that I've got in there and searching and looking, and God has not been faithful to give me what I needed. I understand that may make some pastors mad and some preachers mad. They're gonna have to deal with it. Because that logic doesn't make sense anywhere else, especially when we have a God who says, "I will give you what I need," or give you what you need. Said, so, "Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine." How do you know the man is laboring? How do you know the pastor? Is laboring? It's evident. He'll come to the pulpit ready to preach. He'll have something from the Lord. It may not, like I said, it may not be lined out perfectly and be homiletical and uh, what, I can't even make, I, not, I, I can't remember the word. that Everything starts with the same letter. Alliterate, there, I knew it started with an A. And I, the only word I had wasn't even a real word. <laughs> it was coming to my brain. But he'll have something from the Lord. Right, and the Bible says those men, right, those who are in the word of God laboring, the Bible says they're worth double honor. To be honest with you, I've heard this verse quoted this way, they're worth double hire. It's not what the Bible says. It says they're worth double honor. And see, a lot of times, this is the verse that is taken out of context and misconstrued and to, to make it seem like, well, you know, you got to do this for the pastor, you got to give him more money, all that kind of stuff. That word honor is something that is valuable, in essence, the man that God has given to the church, if he's laboring in the word of God and he's preaching the word of God and it's exhorting you and it's edifying you and it's perfecting you, you gotta realize you got something great. Not that he's necessarily a great pastor or a great preacher or he's a great orator, but he is literally operating where God has put him. And that's where double honor, honor is given... Uh, even to rank or a state office in the sense, in essence, if you've got a man of God who is, who is preaching the word of God and it was, who is laboring and studying and it's evident, can I say he's greater for you to have than a good governor? He's greater for you to have even for a good president tonight. because listen, the president might legislate things and might do things and different things like that, but God will use that man to help you in your personal life. It ought to be a relationship of empowering. In verse number 18, it says, what do I do if God has given me somebody like that? God has given me a pastor like that. What do I do? Don't muzzle the ox. In essence, don't inhibit him from doing that which God has called him to do. fair, that word, muzzle, you think about a fair conversation, every pastor should live. And I, I'm a firm believer that every pastor ought to live in the same median group as his church is. <laughs> because if I or if the pastor doesn't live in the same kind of group that his people, he won't be able to identify with them. <laughs> I guarantee you last night, Brother Ricky, every man in that room said, boy, I hope I win that ratchet strap. Now, if you had came in with a complete collection of Plato and Socrates, uh, I ain't put my name in that bowl. <laughs> I ain't never gonna use that. Right, but Ratchet strap. how can I put my name in here twice? <laughs> kind of like vote. If I could figure out how to do it twice, I would, amen. <laughs> Pray y'all not to say that. You're gonna come get us. It'd be all right, amen. Go vote Tuesday if you haven't voted either. Go vote right, too. Amen. Amen. It ain't a hard choice. Go on the grounds of abortion. You'll make the right vote, amen. Amen. Don't muzzle the ox. Don't muzzle the ox. But in essence, And oftentimes, once again, that, that goes into, it's a quick left turn, right turn into money. You gotta pay the preacher enough money. And listen, that's part of it tonight. Listen, and here, here's the thing tonight, but it's so much more than that. In essence, it's more than just making sure there's enough dollar amount on his paycheck for his family to survive and to make it. It's more than that. It's learning how how can I help my pastor what problems can I alleviate from the man that God has given me that are non-essential problems, that are problems that I easily know the answer for and I easily know the solution for, and so I'm going to do that to be a help to my pastor. There was somebody who did something. It was a blessing, and it helped, and it was a grateful thing that, that they did for me. And they, said, they came to me, and they said, Pastor, I did this and I did this. Are you mad at me? I said, Oh, no. you did a wonderful thing. Thank you for doing that. It's something I didn't have to deal with. And I didn't have, it, was a, it wasn't something that was an essential part or if it went wrong, the church was gonna blow up kind of thing. And it's just like, you know, there's some people they are good at telling the pastor everything that needs to be done or everything they notice. And, and listen, those people have their place in the body of Christ. Not exactly sure where, but they have their, bo- their place in the body of Christ. There's lot, they can point out this, they can point out that. But you know what's a help? <laughs> Instead of going to the pastor and saying, Pastor, I've seen trash on the floor in the sanctuary. I just want to let you know. Just pick it up. <laughs> Trace it down to which kid it was. <laughs> and say, if I ever find this again, <laughs> you won't have any teeth left. <laughs> have a great day. I love you. <laughs> Don't do that. But learn and and learn how to to take those things because here's the thing, the more burden that they would put on the ox, in that essence, that ox had one job. He was to tread out the corn. He was to uh, run the mill in that sense and to produce something that was edible for the people to eat to feed them. And that if they kept putting weight on him, unnecessary weight on him, and unnecessary weight on him, unnecessary weight on him, that didn't need to be there. His job actually got harder. You know, there's some pastors that are absolutely wore out by the time they get to the pulpit on Sunday morning because they've spent all week long trying to put fires out. They've spent all week long trying to deal with things that people could easily have dealt with. In essence tonight, you don't have to bring the pastor in to resolve every conflict in your life. And I'll say this as well, please, please don't make the pastor the only source of discipline in your kid's life. Why, preacher? Because it's gonna give them the wrong perception of what a pastor is. All he ever does is tell me how wrong I am. Can I say that's not the right relationship to have? But it ought to be an empowering relationship. In essence, what can I do to enable my pastor to do what God has called him to do? That way, because if God is calling him, as God is allowing him to do what God has called him to do, I know I'm the direct beneficiary of that in my life. Leave an unnecessary weight. If you can handle it correctly and safely, then do so. All right? A wore-out pastor is one who has to put out everybody else's problems and fix everybody else's, or everybody else's fires and fix everybody else's problems. It ought to be an empowering relationship. It ought to be an encouraging relationship. And here's verse, point number three tonight. It ought to be a relationship that is enjoyed. It ought to be a relationship that is enjoyed. It ought not to be, oh, here comes the pastor. Great.
1: <laughs> oh, here
0: he comes again. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number five. First Peter chapter number five. We're we're right about done tonight. First Peter chapter number five. It ought to be a relationship that is enjoyed. First Peter five verse one. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. And Peter said, Hey, listen, I ain't talking, I ain't telling you something that I don't know. I ain't telling you something I ain't doing. Peter said, I'm an myself. I'm a pastor myself, and a witness of the suffering of Christ. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse number two, feed the flock of God, which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, right? But willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. I read a statement this week and I was like, I absolutely agree with that. It said the best managers typically are people who don't want to be managers. <laughs> in essence, if there's a man who comes in and he tells you exactly why, he's the greatest pastor you'll ever have and how he's super qualified, and how he's all this, that, and a bag of chips, look for the next one. Right, (laughs) because feed the flower of God, which is taking the oversight there of not by constraint. In essence, you don't have to force yourself into it. You're not grabbing and locking down on it, but willingly. (laughs) That's That's how it ought to be. In essence, I'm scared to death to do it, but I feel like this is what the Lord wants me to do so I'm going to trust the Lord, amen? And so we see that not willingly, and not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. If the first thing out of his mouth is, how much are you going to pay me? Find the next one. <laughs> Preacher. I'm just, I'm trying to help us out tonight, amen? Because here's the thing. I, I, like I said last week, I plan on being the pastor until I die. That's where my heart is. But I don't know when that day is going to be. I mean, I think I'm in pretty good health, but I'm not the giver and taker of life. So if that, the Lord takes me home, I want to help you make sure you can find the, God, the passion that God wants to give you. He said it ought to, it ought to be a willing relationship. In essence, if it is, I'm, not, I'm only coming, or I'm only going to do it if y'all do this for me. It's not a willing relationship. It ought to be a loving relationship. Look at verse number three. Neither being as lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. It ought to be a loving relationship. It also ought to be a humble relationship. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed in humility. Let's read that one more time. Yea, you be subject one to another. One to another. And be clothed with humility. In essence, as the pastor, the pastor has the right to say, I ain't in that verse. I can do whatever I want to do. I can talk to you however I want to talk to you. I can treat you however I want to treat you, but you better be humble. He said, one another, clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. It ought to be a humble relationship. The pastor ought to be humbled and you ought to be humbled as well. And when you deal with problems, you ought to deal with them humbly. It ought to be an enjoyed relationship. It ought to be one of those like, boy, there's my pastor. It ought to be, boy, there's my church member. There's a person that God has given me the person that God has given me. I firmly believe tonight that the Lord has given me Miss Becky. And tomorrow we'll celebrate 13 years of legal marriage. <laughs> Preacher, what are you talking about? Well, he was here a few weeks ago. I said we were legally married in 2019. We was legally married in 2009. She said, "Why do you always say 2019?" I said, "I have no idea." <laughs> but I firmly believe that God has given me her. And our relationship isn't a forced one. I don't come to the church and get things done and head back to the house and say, oh, I go home and see my wife. I mean, I know she's beautiful and all, but oh, oh, I just gotta, I gotta make myself push the button to get my car going. (sighs) No. (laughs) No. Boy, I locked the doors up here. May break the speed limit on the way home. I love I love going home because I know who's there waiting on me. It's not a forced relationship. It's a loving relationship. It's a willing relationship. Nobody twisted my arm and said you better marry her. I chose to. When I said I do, I meant it, and it was a free choice, <laughs> and it was a willing choice. It's a loving and it's a humble relationship, but it's an enjoyed relationship. So not only should it be a a a a a a willing and a loving and a humble relationship, but Hebrews 13, verse number 17 tells us it'll be a judged relationship. It'll be a judged relationship. Look at Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. Some pastors stop right there and say, whatever I say, you have to do. Listen, if I tell you to do something, you have all right to go check it with the Word of God. All right. If you come back to me and say, preacher, I I, I, I was listening to what you said, and I got a state to stay in my Bible, and I got some questions. I'm all ears. Talk to me, let's get this thing sorted out. Verse number 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account. Do you know tonight I'm gonna to give an account for how I pastor South Haven Baptist Church? Not to you, not to my ordination board in that sense, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing tonight. Knowing that I'm going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for how I pastor South Haven Baptist Church, that's the greatest source of security, security not just security, but the greatest source of accountability in any Christian's life. In essence, if I can't do what is right for the glory of God in the eyes of God tonight. I won't do it for nobody else. And so we see it now that, yes, the pastor is going to give an account. They must give an account, and they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I'm not saying tonight that you've got to agree with everything that I say or that the pastor says. But when those disagreements do come, they ought to be dealt with biblically and correctly. <laughs> the same, I'm going to give an account for how I pastor. You're going to give an account for how you were pastored. On how you did with the man that God gave you. Whether it's me or somebody else, you're going to give an account for When he preached the word of God, did I listen and apply? When it was evident that he was God's man and he was evident that they were laboring in the word of God and they were uh, preaching the word of God and they were doing the work of the ministry, did I help my pastor or was I a hindrance to him? Was Was I an encouragement to him or was I one of those that wrote him all day long and told him everything that was wrong and all those kind of things tonight? It's gonna be a judged relationship in knowing that you and I will both stand and give an account, one, for either how we were pastored or how we pastored. And we're gonna give that account to Christ. Boy, I wanna be right in all aspects of that tonight. I don't wanna be slack in any of those because I know I'm gonna have to stand before Christ and give it, give an account for those things that I've done as the pastor. And so we see tonight, it ought to be an enjoyed relationship. Wouldn't it be a blessing then when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, he says, hey, what about your time at South Haven Baptist Church? What about your time at that church and with that pastor? Did you enjoy that relationship? And we ain't going to be able to lie. <laughs> we'll have to be honest about it. And I want to be able to look at him eyeball to eyeball and say, Lord, I enjoyed every second of it. I enjoyed every moment of it. I enjoyed the people that that you gave me to pastor and Lord, I hope that I was enjoyable to them because that's how God designed it to be. This ought not to be a place of tension. This ought not to be a place where the pastor is trying his best to by any means necessary get his his package through or his plan through or his prerogative through. This ought to be a place where the pastor preaches the word of God. The saints are edified, the work of the ministry is done, and God is glorified. How should a Christian's relationship, it ought to be an enjoyed relationship. I don't have to be your best buddy tonight. You ain't got to call me every time. You're bored. Hey, preacher, what are you doing? It's 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm asleep. That's <laughs> what I do at 3 o'clock, I sleep. <laughs> but no, it ought to be an enjoyed relationship. We come and we fellowship one towards the other, we enjoy the goodness of God. It ought to be an enjoyed relationship. It ought to be an empowering relationship. It ought to be an encouraging relationship. Let me ask you now, what's your, what's your relationship like with the pastor that God has given you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for the night.